the story that I heard, and I don't know if it's true or not, but that Mike Nolan said that that when he that when he saw Alex open the car door for his mom, then he knew that's the quarterback he wanted. And I said, well, I was at lunch with him. Like I didn't, my mom wasn't there, and my dad yeah. wasn't there. I just laugh at stories like that because that has nothing to do with playing quarterback. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And uh, that opening was good old Aaron Rodgers on Bill Simmons' Any Given Wednesday, describing to you in detail why it is that our franchise sucks. I mean, it's just funny because you you think about, uh, you know, there's so many fans out there. Like, there's this huge, I think probably the majority of fans, like, trust what these guys do. Like, whether it's people in the front office or the coaching staff, they kind of, like, trust them because, like, oh, they played the game. I'm going to listen to this guy over some, like, pundit, you know, some media member. They didn't, they never played the game. Like, that's really important. Mike Nolan looks the part. He (laughs) wore a suit. Um, His dad's name is Dick. But then you hear stuff like this constantly, right? You always hear these stories about the things that, like, decision makers in the NFL consider, and it just, like, blows your mind. It's it's just like, I mean, and again, like like he said, who knows if it's actually true or not, but it would, it's not even remotely surprising. Like, I absolutely would believe it. Absolutely. And, and again, and I've said this before, we've talked about this in this, on this show before, if you've been longtime listeners, but I I still don't know that Aaron Rodgers would be the Aaron Rodgers that we know now, if he would have been drafted by San Francisco, Um, you know, he wouldn't have had a hall of fame quarterback to live under or to, to learn under. He wouldn't have sat on the bench for three or four years. There's a lot of things that go into it. That notwithstanding, it's always just interesting to hear. It's always like a, just a little a twist of fate, if you will, <laughs> uh, or a twist of the knife, depending. Um, but we're back. We're sorry we're a little late this week. Uh, it is Friday night. It's Friday night. And yeah. the feeling's right. Uh, <laughs> it's 9.24 p.m. here. Uh, I am one, two, three, four beers in. Damn, about um, well, to get lit. Well, I started, though, at work. <laughs> well played. <laughs> well, you know, it was Friday, and it's it's at work, and it's beer o'clock at 3 o'clock on Friday. Uh, so then we have, you know, a five-tap kegerator at work, and so I was like, all right, let's get, get a little IPA. It's not a big deal. Come home, go to dinner, uh, had another beer there, had another beer here, chilling with David, doing some prep. Uh, and now I've got, uh, I'm staring at a little live oak pills. Uh, it's a delicious beer here out of Austin, Texas. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, at least so you're I mean, you're spread out a little bit. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's almost like the spread offenses we're going to be talking about today. Oh, snap segue. Bazinga. Son. That's why we're pros. That's exactly right. So we're going to be talking about the spread offense and specifically how to defend the spread offense. That's going to be episode three of Scheme Week is all about how teams are probably going to defend Chip Kelly and what that means for the defenses that we're going to face. But first, as we always get into the rundown. And our first story, perhaps one of the most important things that, that's going to happen this offseason, uh, is that our very own David is officially engaged. Oh, that's and true. we give a round of applause. Round thought, of applause. I thought we were going to go into the, the other news, the real news that we had. No, no, we'll get, in, we'll get into that yeah. piece of shit a little later. Um, <laughs> but but let's, let's start off with a little bit of happiness here. Um, yeah, for real. You know, no, we've had no Pokemon Go-related incidents thus far. No one's, no one's fallen off cliffs. Um, I'm successfully at level seven. Which I'm just going to say, if I would have set the over-under at like how many days until a Pokemon Go-related death, like it would have been like two. I, I saw a fake story about a car accident uh, because someone like skidded on the highway to catch a, a Pikachu. Totally believed it. Totally believed it. Turns out it was an onion story or some shit. 
Um, but yeah, no, it, it happened just about a week ago. Um, David decided to take the plunge that we all inevitably take at some point in our life. And he is going to get married and is actively trying to persuade his bride-to-be that he should not get married during, during football, football season. season. <laughs> it's really my goal for the next 12 months. Like, it's my sole mission, um, you know, beyond, like, you know, continuing to work and make money and pay bills. You know, all, all that basic life stuff. Yeah. Lots sole of, mission in life is to try to not Lots of changes for David. Season. He's uh, he's moving to Pittsburgh. Uh, all the things happen. Actually, these last, uh, it's the 15th of July. The, the last two weeks here are going to be the last two weeks that David is in Austin. So these will be the last two episodes where we're in the same room delivering the podcast. Um, and it's going to be sad. Yeah. I might uh, I might shed a little tear. It's going to be very weird. Yeah. I'm not I'm not like looking forward to that yeah. part of it. Um yeah. stroking like petting over Skype is not it, you know <laughs> it, it doesn't feel the same as it does uh here when we're in no. the same room. Um so yeah, we'll have to get used to that. My screen will be a little cold uh and antiseptic, but you know what? We'll make it work. <laughs> Figure um, it out. Yeah, but so congrats David for realsies. Um it was awesome to be there um in the karaoke room with the two-headed baby goat. Um, always said that you know i wanted to propose to the love of my life in a room that looked like a circus tent and okay i I have to i have to tell the story now and you know it's whatever it's friday it's the off season it's gonna happen right we're gonna have digressions but so we we decide that he i have the ring i'm the bearer of said ring and he david is proposing to his girlfriend soon to be fiance and you know, he's up there and we're in a karaoke room. So he's got a mic and he's just kind of thanking everyone. She thinks it's because it's their last days of, of work. And so we're all there to celebrate. It's her friends. It's his friends. And we're waiting on a couple of friends. And we're like, where the fuck are they? Like, killing me. They, killing they, me. They were the couple that like didn't. Oh, we're going to close our table. Oh, yeah, let's go close our table over here. Uh, and they're like, all right, where are they? Where are they? Where are they? All right. Finally, they show up. And so David gets into his spiel and he's like, you know, who would have thought that, you know, we'd be here now. We're moving to Pittsburgh together. And then a waiter comes in <laughs> and, like, kicks the door open. And he's like, fried chicken. Fried chicken, anybody? Fried chicken. And he just in some, some fuck way. I don't like Because, like, where I'm, where I'm uh, standing during all this, like, <laughs> at the front of the room, basically. And it's, like, right where the entrance to the room is at. So the door is right there. So, like, when this dude opens the door, I'm, like, having to. It hits him. I'm, like, mid-speech. Uh, and like having to evade this door. So, you know, bonus points for added level of difficulty. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dexterity bonus, definitely yeah. there. Uh, you know, fried chicken bonus, definitely <laughs> there. Um, and, and now really what this means is that heretofore, every year, David is going to need to have fried chicken on the anniversary of the proposal. I think that's really what it means. I mean, it seems reasonable. That's me. absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's definitely the top story in our rundown. Uh, life. Life is awesome and life is great. And David, congratulations to you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, but now we get into the sad news. Uh, Aaron Lynch suspended for the first four games of the season for violating the NFL policy program for substances of abuse and to... Uh, disambiguate this from any other potential policy that he could fall under for violating. It's not PEDs. Um, it is not smoothie powder. He is not Eli Harold. Not Eli Harold. We still might have to worry about that one a little bit later. Um, but yeah, it, it, it from what we can tell, it's more than likely that this is like his third offense slash positive test at weed. It really is is pretty much what 
yeah, I mean, probabilities lean us towards, but who the hell knows? The everything like like everything with the NFL, uh, it's it's never easy. We can't even figure out what a catch is and what's not. So the the substance abuse policy uh, is slightly convoluted. Uh, but what is high? <laughs> um, and, and so there's like a lot of different conditions there that determine what stage of the program that they're in and and all this stuff and. Honestly, it's not something that we've looked at too in depth before like 30 minutes ago. So we're not going to sit here and tell you exactly what happened. But I mean, it seems like the most likely course of action based on the information that we have right now. Multiple marijuana violations. If you're super. Yeah. If you're super interested, there's three stages. Stage one is a positive test and you go into a treatment plan. Stage two is a second positive test. And depending on whether or not you finish stage one or you're in the middle of stage one, it depends on what your penalty is. And depending on whether or not that infraction is marijuana versus not, if it's not marijuana or Himalayan death lettuce, as I like to call it, um, then your penalty is actually more severe. So bottom line is, if it's all weed, then likely it, he had to have done this three times. Or if it's not weed, if it was like Molly or Coke or LSD, crack, meth, heroin, I mean, at the point which we're getting the ketamine, things are just really going downhill. Um, then it was only two infractions that he needed to get into in order for him to get to a four game suspension. So, you know, and everyone's going to be like, Oh my God, he's so dumb. But dude, once you get into the program, once you get to stage one, it's like random test. And, and that's immediately hard. The first one's always the the hard one. After that, the NFL's basically got your pee in a cup into perpetuity. Um, and, and it's a lot easier to flunk out basically. And and so when I'm sure we'll get more information like in the coming days and and whatnot as to what specifically happened, that stuff always kind of seems to, to leak out eventually. Um, in terms of on field stuff, what that means. So he's still going to be there with the team over the rest of the off season program, like uh, all through training camp, the preseason games, all that stuff. He'll be there with the team. Um, it's really that Monday on the first week of the season. That's when he kind of goes away you won't see him for four weeks um he'll return after the game against the dallas cowboys so what that means is that he's going to miss games against the rams panthers seahawks and cowboys and operationalizing that he's going to miss games against goff newton russell hustle bustle and tony romo you know yeah not the um bottom of the quarterback barrel if you will <laughs> right right and then he's got to come back and it's going to be a game on a short week on thursday night football against Carson Palmer and the Cardinals. Well, I mean, really, is it a short week, or is it the longest four weeks of his life? I mean, so for him, it might not necessarily, <laughs> I guess, a short week, but it's a short week for the team. Um, I guess, yeah, he can start putting all his... Uh, he just start uh, prepping film for the Cardinals now. Cardinals, yeah, yep. like all that four weeks. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it obviously sucks. It, it's, it's, he's the best pass rusher the team has, very clearly, um, especially when you look at from the edge. I mean, really, the only other guys... Uh, in that front that would be okay yeah they're they're decent pass rushers or all interior guys guys like eric armstead um somebody like deforest buckner who we expect to be a, a solid interior pass rusher so it's it's more of those type of players that w- would be your next tier down from lynch as a, as a pass rusher um so it, it really kind of hurts i mean Right now, we're looking at uh, a depth chart at outside linebacker minus Aaron Lynch that uh, doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. Eli right Harold and Ahmad Brooks. And, uh, and then, I mean, yeah, So and, and this was the thing, too, right? So if, if this never happened with Lynch, you really would have hoped in an ideal world that Harold wins the job and, and takes yeah. that other starting spot, right, from Ahmad Brooks, and that Ahmad Brooks isn't having to, to play a whole lot. So now you're going into a situation where almost certainly Harold and Brooks, you know, barring injury or something... Uh, really unforeseen. Those are going to be your two starters. And then you're looking at guys like Corey Lemonnier 
Tank Carradine. Um, you know, maybe if one of the other guys on the back of the roster sticks, Marcus Rush, um, and then there's a couple of undrafted free agents that are hanging out in there as well. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe. So I, I guess what you're looking at for Tank Carradine, like this is a really great opportunity him, yeah. for him. Like he, he's going to have a chance to play, you know, almost certainly more than he would have otherwise um, over those first four weeks. So this is really his opportunity to kind of yep. step up and show that that he has a spot on this team going forward. If he disappoints and is still kind of a, a non-factor over that time, then I think we're probably looking at you know yeah. the last season of Tank Carradine on this team. And really for Eli Harold, what it means is he gets an opportunity to prove that he, the, the hype of getting you know because he came in with a you know, pretty good amount, not necessarily hype, but I mean he was he's a, a third, third rounder. He's a third rounder, right? He was considered the best of the kind of second tier group of edge rushers out of his draft class. And this was a pretty strong yeah. class. You know, most people thought it was a pretty strong class of pass rushers at the time. And he offered know, something that was different than the kind of rusher that the 49ers had on the roster, which yes. was that kind of, you know, transitioning to power, this kind of speed to power type of rusher that we saw with Alden Smith. Um, and, and, you know, I would say Ahmad Brooks is not going to be a speed rusher. It's again, speed to power. And Eli Harold was a guy who could bend around the edge. He was going to beat you with his speed and beat you with his hands. Um, and and so now he, where he would have had to have fought a veteran in Ahmad Brooks, now he is positioned to be one of the two starters. And you know now that he's got that smoothie powder in his system, we got to figure out whether or not he's actually going to make that work, or if he himself is going to get suspended because you know getting thirty pounds heavier in six or seven months, it, it you know could signal some alarm bells in the NFL. Offices. I mean, so that's the thing, right? We're going to see how well that, that added bulk transitions to the field as well, because we were in a situation where he was a guy, you know, I think even if he ended up getting the majority of the snaps over Ahmad Brooks, it was still going to be a situation where he predominantly pay, played pass heavy snaps. Yeah. And then you saw Ahmad Brooks come in for like base or, you know, any run situation. Well, cause the run expect. game is really where Harold lost a lot. Exactly. He could so, not help. He couldn't hold up at the point of attack. So now he's going from a guy that, okay, maybe was more of a, a pass rush specialist, you know, playing almost always in the sub packages, not getting a ton of time in, in your base defense there to now he's going to have to, to do both of those things, right? He's going to have to be a run defender, um, because they just don't have other guys that are there that, that can really do it at this point. And, and I'm, so I'm actually doing Eli Harold's 90 and 90 and it'll be up probably before the weekend is done. And one of the questions that I have in, cause we always broke on the Niners nation. If you've read some of the 90 and nineties, it's kind of the roster previews that the site breaks down everyone on the 90 person roster and says, you know, why might they succeed? My white, they regress and kind of their odds of making the roster. This might sound like a trivial point, but 30 pounds is not an insignificant amount of weight to add. No. And and he's he is he's a high P spark guy. He's an athletic guy who predicated his pass rush on his speed. Well, when you're carrying around a, an extra three year old on your body at this point, you know, yes, he's athletic. But will that rob him of that extra step that he would that he would use to get around tackles? Right. Because yeah. in, in the NFL. If you're a half step slower, I mean, he already showed that his speed rush wasn't wasn't well again, had 14 tackles over the seven games he played and zero sacks. So it wasn't like his speed rush was dominant. Now he yeah. might be a half step slower. He's going to he might have to learn how to be a speed to power guy for someone who's never had to learn or or develop or lean on speed to power technique. And so he may by adding this weight end up setting himself farther back than than we might see. So there's a lot of questions with him. There, there yeah. are legitimately questions there. 
And and now there are questions that we're going to get front seats to bring your popcorn. It's Terrell Owens gift time um, <laughs> because we have no idea what's going to happen. And that was a concern with him, I mean, from the beginning, right? I mean, I, I remember when we were talking about him after the draft and when I was, was kind of writing up his little scouting profile afterwards. Um, I mean, that was the thing is that, that he was going to need to develop some secondary moves, right? And that's and, and again, this wasn't like a, a thing specific to him. Most pass rushers coming out of college have to do this, right? Because yeah. they're good at, at one thing and they're good, you know, they're really, really good at that, especially when you're comparing to college level competition. And they just don't have to really go to that second move a lot because their first move wins over and over and over again. So a lot of times you see pass rushers that come into the NFL and they need to work on those second and kind of third moves uh, to, to be able to add to the repertoire. So this is something that, you know, uh, Harold absolutely had to do coming out. Um, and we're going to see, you know, how far along he's come. He's going to be kind of forcing the spotlight uh, a little bit earlier than maybe the ideal plan would have had it. So to put a fine point on it, in case you weren't already depressed at this news, per Pro Football Focus, Aaron Lynch had more quarterback pressures last year, 62 of them, than all other 49ers outside linebackers combined. All other 49ers outside linebackers combined for 57 pressures. Aaron Lynch by himself had 62. Yeah. So I mean, Lynch was, uh, I mean, in my opinion, at least he was the best defender on the team yeah. last year. And I don't think it was for the, for the, for the stretch of the season, because yeah. I think at near the last two, three games, you could see maybe Navarro Bowman come back to form. But I think I mean, it, Bowman struggled with, you know, the, the cover seven. We won't get too far down there. I mean, I think Ian Williams is in that conversation as well, especially towards the tail end of the season. He played really, really well. Um, you know, Tremaine Brock. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I know you love um, Jermaine Brock, but but I mean, I think Lynch was just kind of the one guy he didn't get home a lot. So you, you, you didn't get a lot of attention thrown his way. But again, the pressure was there. The the hurries, the hits were there. You know, it wasn't always finishing. Um, but that stuff, if, if you're getting the pressure often enough, the sacks are going to come eventually. Yep. Uh, so that about does it for the rundown. And we said it last week. We want to not have a lot of stories in the rundown because that usually means only, something bad happened. Only bad things. At this That's point. right. And uh, here we are. Uh, prophecy fulfilled. Uh, it, we've got some bad news and hopefully it's the last set of bad news. Uh, although I think Brooks still has his um, sexual assault like pretrial hearing or something in the next couple of weeks or something. So I mean, who knows? We could lose another outside linebacker. And then I'm to say I wouldn't even miss him if he was gone. We're looking at uh, <laughs> we could be looking opening week at the remarkable outside linebackers that are Eli Harold and Corey Lemonnier. Lemonnier. Defoe. Hope Le you're ready, Mon-Yay. son. Hope Le you're ready. Uh, We're going to need, uh, maybe need tank. that defensive line to Tank's step up. going to have to do it. Um, so let's get into then the meat of the episode, and that's going to be Scheme Month. It's episode three of Scheme Month, and we focused on the defense last week and talked about kind of run-stopping 101, and this is going to be really defending the spread. If... Last week was about defending the run and kind of the basics behind how you fit your gaps and how you have your run fits. Um, This is really going to be about how you defend the common spread concepts that you're going to see and less so about how we're going to defend other teams and more so about how teams are going to try to defend Chip Kelly because we are now fully in the spread world of offense. This is going to be what Chip Kelly runs. It is the spread and teams are going to defend it a very, very particular way. So what can you, as a 49ers watcher, expect other opposing teams to do when they see Chip Kelly's offense? That's what we're going to spend the next probably half hour or so talking to you about, is how teams are going to defend the spread. 
So I think the the place that we want to start with this is defining, at least for our purposes here, like what the spread is. When we say that, what are we referring to? What criteria are we kind of putting on that? Because it there, could there be are... Nutella. It could be jam. It could be I jelly. Mean, that sounds good. What's the difference between jelly or jam? These are the kinds of philosophical questions we I need to tackle. Do you know the I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I actually think that... Um, you know what? I don't. One maybe like preserves are with real with real fruit, and maybe jam is like doesn't have any real fruit. Maybe has like pectin or some kind of gelatin or something in it. Oh, I think pectin's a real thing. Sounds I didn't terrible. I didn't just make that up. <laughs> Although it's entirely possible. Hold on, let me Google this. <laughs> All right. So while we're we're searching for you know the answer to life's greatest questions, haha, it is. Oh, oh, wait, pectin that was quick. Uh, is a structural. Heteropolysaccharide, first time reading that word out loud, contained in the primary cell walls of terrestrial plants. It was first isolated and described in 1825 by Henry, can't read his last name, but it's a real thing. Thanks, Wikipedia. True story. Appreciate it. Look at that. You You didn't just learn about the spread, you learned (laughs) about jelly and jam. (laughs) Um, So so I think, you know, looking at the different types of spread offenses that are out there, there are, you know, a a few different variations and and it really comes more down to a like a philosophical difference i think so you have a lot of uh spread offenses like if you think of the the air raid offenses right the the mike leeches of the world and his offenses from texas tech and now washington state like it's this spread to pass we're gonna put four receivers out spread them across the field and we're gonna throw 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 90 percent of the time right we throw maybe a draw in there every once in a while just to to keep the linebackers somewhat honest and, and, and kind of, you know, pick up some easy yardage, but we're going out there, we're throwing the ball over the place and that's kind of what we're aiming to do. And then there are the spread to run offenses or or really, I think a lot of the spread to run is kind of more of a, we're going to take what the defense gives us. You know, we're not going to necessarily go out there and, and, and look to do, you know, one or the other necessarily more often, but we're going to go where the numbers tell us to go. And we're going to get into that a little bit more, but for our purposes here, we're really talking about we're we're going to eliminate those super pass heavy spread offenses from our equation because it's just not something that you see in the NFL, right? It's really more of a college thing. Uh, it's nothing that we have to really concern ourselves with too much here. So we're going to use a few criteria. One, we're talking about teams that spread the field horizontally with their formations and through the use of motion. So we're going sideline to sideline with the receivers and pass targets that we have across the field. We're going to look for offenses that are primarily in the shotgun, right? Quarterback in the shotgun. Um, and usually he's at least a threat to run the football, right? Not necessarily Mike Vick or Colin Kaepernick or somebody like that, but it's it, you at least have, you know, the, the defense has to consider it, right? He has to kind of keep him honest enough. He might pull it on his own read. Threat to run the football. Um, and then they also were looking for somebody that, you know, uses most of these spread offenses kind of regardless of if they're run heavy or pass heavy, um, use tempo to some extent. So we're also kind of considering that. So that's really what we're defining spread offense as when we're talking about this um, throughout the rest of the episode. Sorry, I was not even listening um, because I was reading on Epicurious about the difference between jams and jellies. And it's, it's true. It, it, it does have to do with pectin. Um, and, and jellies apparently are strained fruit gel with fruit pulp and other sediments removed. So, so is jelly better than, is that the bottom line? No, jelly is like, if you like the flavor of blackberries, but don't like those or raspberries, but don't like the seeds in your teeth, then you want like a raspberry jelly. 
and and a jam is almost like unfiltered. It's got way more of the seeds. Um, and there's apparently the FDA has like a, a fruit to sugar ratio that it needs to maintain. Um, so so that it also dictates it as well. But pectin apparently is is what makes it a bit jelly because it's naturally occurring in cell walls. This is what I was doing while you were describing <laughs> spread offense. Sorry, I <laughs> I I would love to tell you that I heard most of what you said. I mean, I I, I have an idea because you know. We we've done this a couple of times, but yeah, <laughs> jelly and jams, bro. I think Good to know. Good I think to we know. know. I think we know the call to action. We came on it pretty early. It's gonna be hashtag pectin. Hashtag and, pectin. And in case you weren't aware of how to spell that, it's p e c t i n pectin. Hashtag yep. jelly or jam too. Yep. Hashtag you know, jelly or jam. Know. Put your hands together. That's a friend's reference. Girl from the cut to play naked or a tub of jam. Put your hands together. All right, never mind. Yeah. So what no. pro- what problems really do spread offenses create for defenses? Right. So. If we're going to be defining spread offenses in the way that David described, which I think I kind of heard <laughs> passively, but I'm going to go ahead and look at my notes here. Um, you know, you're talking about spreading the field horizontally, uh, having a quarterback that is predominantly in the shotgun who is a threat to run the football. Maybe not necessarily, you know, a Mike Vick or a Colin Kaepernick. Did hear you say that? Look at that. Um, look at you. Look at that. Yeah. Right. Um, and and is aiming to spread to run because that's important because that's what Chip Kelly's spread offense is meant to do. He's not going to be an air raid guy uh, like Mike Leach. Then what problems really does that create for defenses? The first is that there are fewer defenders to stop the run by placing four to five pass targets across the width of the field. The offense is aiming to accomplish just a couple of really, really fun things. One, remove defenders from the box by forcing them out wide to cover the pass targets. It's pretty simple, right? If you put four guys out on the edge, they're probably going to need to get covered. And that means that you're going to take people out of the core of the defense. And that makes, you know, kind of just hopefully easier to run because it's all about numbers. Or two, create mismatches by getting run first defenders to play in space against more athletic receivers. This is where you see the the outside linebacker out on Julian Edelman, and you're just like, oh, my God, why are you out there? Oh, my God, why are you out there? Oh, yes, it's an it's a whip route to Julian Edelman for 11 yards. No because, way. Yeah, right, because you know that's going to happen because you're just like mismatch. Or when Gronk is out there against a 5'9 DB, and he just raises his hand like, dude, come on. <laughs> There's no way to stop that. You just can't do it. Um, those are the kinds of things that a spread offense is trying to do. It's either trying to remove defenders from the core and get numbers or create mismatches by getting run first defenders to cover. Yeah. And, and so the other thing, and we kind of touch on it there a little bit, but really because numbers end up dictating where the football goes, that makes it a, a kind of a problem for the defense, right? So if if they're playing more pass with their alignment, meaning that they have two safeties deep, they got all of those receivers that are spread across the field accounted for, right? They got somebody committed to those receivers. Well, then that leaves them at a disadvantage in the box against the run. If they look to play more against the run with their alignment, so they're they're dropping an extra defender in the box, maybe they're leaving one of those guys uh, you know, uncovered on the perimeter, well, all of a sudden now the offense has an advantage or sh- at least should be able to create a favorable situation um, in, in the passing game. So it, it really becomes... Uh, you know, a little tricky to account for all of the scenarios that can play out there. It's also difficult for them to blitz because one of the things by spreading things out, uh, it makes your coverages more difficult to disguise. 
Um, so it's a little, things are a little bit easier to read for the quarterback generally, because you kind of have to declare yourself in a lot of ways, right? Like if that receiver is way out there, you can't really get too far away from him or they're going to be able to complete an easy pass to an uncovered guy, right? So you have to declare yourself a little bit and that makes it tougher to blitz because a lot of blitz is, uh, really based around disguise, right? And kind of creating this confusion, but if all of a sudden I want to blitz my nickel back and I see him creeping way off away from that slot receiver uh, and he's not anywhere near him, well, I'm kind of tipping my hand a little bit in most cases. So it's going to be easier to pick that up. And whenever you do blitz a spread, because a lot of quick throws tend to be built into um, you know, a lot of the pass concepts that they have, you can be burnt for big plays on these really short, easy to complete throws and, and kind of give up some big gains in the passing game there. And then, you know, of course, tempo is kind of the the other big thing that we touched on uh, at the top there that, that, again, this is one of the criteria that we're looking for in these spread offenses. Tempo, again, simplifies things. It, it makes it tough for the defense to substitute. So you end up with, uh, you know, the same 11 defenders on the field for most of the drive, if not the entire drive. Um, and it's also, again, difficult to disguise. They, they don't have time to mess around with moving safeties and linebackers all around um, to try to create this confusion because the offense is snapping the ball so quickly, they just need to get lined up so they don't, you know, compromise an area of their defense and give up an easy gain. And ultimately, that's what you want to do. You want to make things easy on your quarterback. It is still a quarterback-driven league, and a, a quarterback, even you know, not even an average quarterback, if they know the kind of coverage they're going to get ahead of time, are going to be more apt to be able to beat that coverage with the play that they're calling. The problem is that defenses have gotten pretty good at disguising things. And making quarterbacks think that, you know, cover two is cover three or vice versa, or that cover four is cover two. And, and they can roll coverages and do lots of really interesting and unique things. But if you force a defense to declare early, all of a sudden it makes it quite a bit easier for your quarterback to say, mm, I know where I'm going to go with the football. And this is what makes Peyton Manning Peyton Manning. It doesn't matter how often you try to disguise it. He's going to know what you're going to do. And more often than not, he's right. And not everyone's going to have Peyton Manning. So it's great when an offensive system then can force a defense into declaring early and making that decision really easy for your quarterback. But in addition to kind of figure, making things easier on your quarterback and having numbers dictate where the football goes, it also makes it more difficult for a defense to blitz. If a defense is spread out, then their coverage alignments are more difficult to disguise. And the other thing that then becomes more difficult to disguise is the blitz. Oftentimes you'll see, you know, kind of those think of the double A gap blitzes where a linebacker is running up to the line of scrimmage and then at the last second they bail and they get back into his own coverage or where a defensive back is kind of covering or what looks like covering the wide receiver, but then they blitz off the edge when they're all spread out and they've got more room to cover and they know that like, oh, you know what, I'm going to have to cover that guy way over there. When things are compact, players have less ground to cover and they're pretty fast. They can cover it pretty quickly. But when the guy they have to cover is really far away, they're going to have to start to cheat. They're going to have to start to move over to that person that they want to cover. And all of a sudden, that movement, that subtle shift, that out of alignment is going to be a tip to the quarterback. And the quarterback's going to know, all right, this person's going to blitz or this person's not going to blitz. And that, again, makes reading the defense a bit easier, which is advantage offense. So, so I think the way to kind of sum it up right what what is the main problem that these spread offenses create for defense and what, what do they have to account for it's it's really that they're putting you know these offenses are putting more defenders in conflict they're creating more conflict for these defenders right so it's they're they're having to kind of do two things at once be in two places at once in order to really 
you know, successfully defend a lot of these concepts. So that's that's really, I think, the overriding philosophy with these spread offenses is we want to put defenders in conflict and kind of make them wrong. So when we start then looking at, okay, what does the defense, what, what can the defense do to, to try to even the playing field a little bit and, and solve some of those problems, right? Well, I think the first one that we have to really touch on, and, and I think this is true for defense a lot more than it is for, for the offense, um, it really has a, a less to do with scheme. It really is a more about personnel. And, and yes, I know this is scheme month, and, and definitely we are going to get into some of the things that they can do tactically. But personnel is such a huge deal when it comes to defense. And and really, you need defenders like in this day and age that are capable of playing and filling multiple roles, right? The This kind of age of a specialized defender where he just comes in and does one thing. My my run stuffing inside linebacker or, you know, my nickel back that can only play the, the, the pass and can't do anything against the run. Like these guys have less value in today's NFL. Um, it really, you need guys that can do multiple things. Right. And, and we've talked about this quite a bit in regards to the 49ers, like defensive draft picks in recent years. Um, and, and even some, like we, you know, we talked about it a lot, uh, with Jaquaski Tart last year and after he was drafted and some things that we thought that that might allow the 49ers defense to do. You want guys that can do multiple things defensively and kind of be these versatile chess pieces. Um, because again, tempo means that you're not going to be able to change personnel. You're not going to be able to rotate um, these kind of situational players in and out of uh, the, in and off the field, you know, to, to match the situation. And I think there was a really good quote from Nick Saban, um, who, you know, of course, has experience coaching in both the NFL and college. And, and one of the things he said he, he is, um, quote, being an old NFL guy, the way you play defense in the NFL is you play a lot of specialty defense because everything is based on situations. What pace of play is done to the college game does not allow you to do that. So you have to basically play the same players in every situation, because if you do play situation defense and you're allowed to sub in that particular situation, then you can't get players off the field, can't get players out of the game. And you have to be able to match up in all circumstances and situations with teams that actually play that way, which is more difficult. So again, you you need, you want that defensive back that can come up and play linebacker for a snap and, and not be a liability against the run while also being able to step out into the slot and, you know, cover a a slot receiver, a tight end that's aligned out there and, and not be a huge liability in coverage. Um, the specialized player has less value. So that's one of the, the big things is if you don't have the, the players to do this, you're going to struggle. Um, really doesn't matter what you do from a scheme standpoint. It doesn't matter what coverages you're calling and any of that. Like if you don't have the personnel to match up, you are going to be at a disadvantage somewhere. And, and that's something that I always think has really been true of defense for, for a long time. Like offense is really more, you, you can scheme up offense more or you can create opportunities there with the plays that you call and, and the way that you call them defense. It's do you have the guys to match up? Like that's really what it's about. So um, I, I think that's important to touch on before we get into some of the other, you know, scheme related stuff that they can do to help. Cause obviously that certainly plays a role, but personnel first and foremost is, is the, really the most important thing. You need the guys to be able to do this stuff. And ultimately you've got to kind of decide what you want to take away. Sorry, David's like, he's looking at Facebook live right now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did not realize that's what you're doing right yeah, now. Yeah, no, that's yeah. I decided. And then we kept what? talking about doing Facebook Live and uh, never really got around to it. Didn't have time. To, there to are get to it, so. um, a whole four people watching us right now. Um, and show them your koozie really quickly. It's uh, 
Yep, that's that's an America koozie right there. It's really our motto. Yep, absolutely. Um, so here, I'll hand uh, the the phone over to you. You can take that. But ultimately, you have to decide what you want to take away. You can either decide to take away the easy stuff, which is take away some of the short completions, and take away the run, which is what defense is. It's, okay, we might need to turn that off. It's kind of weird. With that. It is a little weird. How do you think? I've, no, I'm going to leave it on now for a while. <laughs> Scott says hi. What's up, oh, hey. What's up, Scott? Um, um, and yeah, it is, I imagine, weird. Andrew says it's weird putting a face with a voice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which, no, yeah, absolutely. It's always a little, no, it's always a little yeah, weird. Um, but yeah, so ultimately, you want to take away the easy stuff. You want to stop the run, and you want to stop short completions. Basically, what you want to do that with is by putting an extra defender in the box. So... That means you're going to be playing a safety, an extra defender down there. So you're probably going to be playing maybe a cover three. But you also want to ensure that every receiver on the perimeter is accounted for. And that allows you to prevent quick, easy completions to uncovered receivers. So think bubble screens. Think quick slants. Think the kind of just easy churn on schedule passes that you typically get from offenses. So those are the kinds of defenses then that are getting forced into by having um, or the, the decisions and conflicts that you have to create with spread offenses. So how then is a defense going to be able to do that? How are they going to both keep an extra defender down in the box and keep everyone covered at the same time when you're looking at something like, say, a two-by-two formation where you've got five offensive linemen, maybe a quarterback and a running back in the box, and the defense has to account for six full gaps? So, Ian, really quick, we're going to get into this. Uh, Ian, listen to the top of the show. We talk about that. Uh, what's what's going on with the pass rush? Sands, Aaron Lynch. Um, so yeah, download and listen. Yeah. You'll get we, your we came in, we came in a little late on this one, but um, so so yeah, I think when when you look at that kind of basic example, right? This spread two by two. There's six gaps, and uh, again, remember from last week's episode, we talked about kind of how those uh, where the gaps are, um, how defenses generally account for that stuff, you know, in a, in a pretty basic way, um, but. You need to do that right with, and again, we uh, talked about actually just a little bit ago with uh, how, what are you going to commit to stopping with your alignment, right? Are you going to play run heavy and, and kind of put another guy in the box? Or are you going to stick with two safeties deep? And that's going to determine how many guys you have to account for those six gaps. Um, if the quarterback is a run threat, you have to get the secondary involved. Um, there, there's really no way around it. I mean, there's a few things that you can try to do, but you're probably going to be at a disadvantage. And this is one of the things that NFL defenses didn't learn right away. Um, you know, if you think back to 2012 and Colin Kaepernick and Robert Griffin kind of running all over a lot of these defenses, it's because the NFL defenses thought that they could account for these gaps by, you know, leaving their two safeties steep still and just kind of getting away with it with their front. And and you really can't do that. So if the quarterback's a run threat, you have to get the secondary involved. Um, the most common way that teams are going to do this, and, and we'll see this a lot um, this year, I would expect, is by dropping a safety down in the box and playing single high coverages, right? So now, rather than just my my five-man front there with my, you know, whether it's four uh, linemen and one linebacker, three and two, you know, however you want to get your five guys in there, um, you drop a six guy down in, and now I have one man to account for every single one of those gaps. The other way you can do it is playing some form of like quarters coverage, right? So we've talked about in the past um, different sorts of uh, pattern matching coverages and uh, what that allows the defense to do. But simply with quarters and in kind of its close variance, um, really what you're getting is the safety is a little bit closer to line of scrimmage. So rather than playing deep, think of like a cover two 
safeties are deep, right? They're 15, 20 yards off the line of scrimmage in some cases. They're really not a threat um, to help defend against the run, and they're not part of the run fit, not part of the, uh, the run defense by design. So by playing something like quarters, you get those guys closer to the line of scrimmage, usually in like the eight-yard range, and now they can play run and pass. So they can get into your run fit. They can account for kind of those outside gaps, right, outside the tackle or tight end. Um, so that's one way to do it. The other thing that you can do if you're really, you know, committed to playing with two safeties deep is you can go into more of a hybrid front and, and kind of the common ways that you do this. So what we mean by hybrid, right? And if you, again, remember last episode, usually teams pick a, a, a philosophy and a technique with stopping the run. It's either they have guys assigned to one gap or they have uh, the defensive linemen take care of two gaps. And that's, you know, kind of how they approach filling all of those spaces that the offense creates. Um, with this, with a hybrid front, you're playing yeah. a combination. I'll actually show a picture of it on Facebook Oh, yeah, Live so if right you're, you're yeah. watching on Facebook, you can get the little diagram that we have yeah. in there to kind of help us out. But So think of what Red Bryant would do with Seattle when he would play what is commonly known as five technique, but we're going to try to stay consistent with our nomenclature and call it the four technique based on the diagram that we published last week. But ultimately, it's where you have one gapping on one side of the defense um, and then you've got two gapping on the other side and someone has to two gap, whether it be someone playing four technique on the end or a linebacker playing two gaps. And that linebacker is what we're more familiar with, especially when you're playing a zone read team. This is that linebacker kind of coming around the edge and making sure that they can get that quarterback if they're running that zone read or going inside when they're seeing that it's an inside handoff or an inside zone. So this is the kind of conflict you want to put that defender in. And if you've got a really good, really speedy defender who's good at making those kinds of calls, then you're effectively covering two gaps with one player, which is what you have to do to account for the conflict that the offense is putting you in when they are you know, creating extra gaps with the quarterback or when they're spreading you out. So this is a common way that you're going to see defenses kind of defeat or try and defeat it is with this hybrid coverage. And, and again, hybrid doesn't mean like, you know, playing different, playing like a linebacker at a safety position that that doesn't make a defense, a hybrid defense. What makes a defense hybrid is when you're playing on different halves of the field, um, different techniques that are usually reserved for different types of defenses. In this case, it's going to be one gap on one side and two gap on the other. Yeah. So, I mean, usually we've talked about hybrid in the past as more of a hybrid player, right? And, and again, it's, it's a mix of two things, right? So when we talked about Jaquaski Tart as a hybrid defender, it's because he's a kind of mix of linebacker and safety, right? Linebacker, defensive back guy. Here we're talking about a mix of techniques. So we're playing a little bit of one gap, a little bit of two gap. Um, for those of you on Facebook Live, and I apologize for those of you that are that are only um, listening right now, you can go watch and, and kind of this will make a little bit more sense when you see the diagram. But just to not, clarify, not, not if they're listening, because if they're listening, then it's can't over. They, you can go back and watch. I mean, you won't be able to watch oh, right now, but I those are those videos are archived. Yeah. They can go and, and watch them not I, live. I didn't know that. Facebook I, not live. I thought this was more like Snapchat. All right. No, on. it doesn't disappear. So this is. Well, got to go. You just go watch it on Facebook not live um, and, and it'll all be fine. It'll be there. Um, but so in the diagram, and I'll try to explain it to for those that don't want to go find the video, um, you have four defensive linemen. You have your two linebackers. So normally, right, what the diagram cuts off are the outside receivers. So you're, you're missing the two outside receivers and the two outside cornerbacks. So what we're left with in the, the diagram is your two safeties that are deep, our six guys in the box, our four defensive linemen, our two linebackers, and then our nickelback. The nickelback's over one side slot. What the will is doing, the, the weak side guy, 
he's kind of creeping out there. So he's not really fully committed to that other slot receiver, but he's over there enough um, that the safety can still get away with playing a little bit deeper because you, you can essentially have your coverage set to have that will take away the underneath stuff and then have your safety pick up anything that goes deeper. Um, so really what that linebacker is doing on that side of the diagram is he's, it, you know, kind of able to read what happens if if the quarterback pulls it and, you know, on a, on a zone read or something like that keeps on the outside, he can react and come up and help defend that. But really what you're getting is normally if it was if it was all one gap, right, he would be in the middle of that defense based on how they're aligned right now. He'd probably be like in the A gap. Um, so just uh, something to clarify when you're looking at that. They have the linebacker kind of bumped outside. Um, but those are, are, you know, some of the type of tactics, tactics that you'll see. It, it really is. What it comes down to defensively is can I account for all of the guys um, that are spread out wide while also accounting for all of the gaps in the run game? Those are the two things that you have to be able to accomplish. And so um, to do that, especially when the quarterback's a run threat, you have to get the secondary involved in those run fits. Um, and so it just kind of changes the way that that they have to think about defense a little bit. Um, again, it, it, you you need guys that can do multiple things, right? If you don't have safeties that can come up and play the run or you don't have linebackers that are athletic enough to go out there and play the pass, then you're kind of screwed. So, um, yeah, it's just something to kind of keep in mind because we're going to be seeing a lot of this type of stuff from opposing defenses over the course of this season. Sorry. So we're going to switch now to what we should expect really when what we should expect defenses to be in specifically when they're facing Chip Kelly's 49ers. But before we do that, hold on. I have to read Scott's comment on it's, he says mentioning a nickelback and asking us to look at that photograph. Good call. That's a double Dang. nickelback joke. That we didn't even intend. Didn't that. even intend to do it. That's, that's good. That's a double nickelback joke. Well that's played. that's pretty legit. But uh, so we've talked about getting that extra defender. And David just said in order to really uh, account for all the gaps and and get your secondary into the run game, what you're going to have to do is bring an extra defender from usually your secondary safety down into the box. Think of Cam Chancellor in Seattle. What, what that then does is it forces you into a single high safety defense. And a single high safety defense is, you know, Seattle's preferred method of defense. It's a cover three. It's any defense where there is a safety in the middle of the field where he is single high, hence the name. So what that then does is it creates an extra gap by the quarterback. So really what, what you're going to do then is you're going to see defenses go into single high looks and you're going to have then the, the, or the cornerbacks on either end either drop, uh, drop deep, and that's going to open up several things here on the front. Now, against the Chip Kelly offense, what you saw is you saw teams in year one, 2013, run a lot of man coverage because basically what you're going to do is by dropping that extra defender down to the box, now you've got man coverage everywhere else, if, especially if you've got three or four wide receivers. And so Chip Kelly actually is ridiculously transparent with talking about a lot of his scheme stuff. Like there's that video series that he did with Philadelphia um, where he talks about all the different play designs and the coverage types. Um, and in this article, he's like, he says that most of the time they see single high safety and they saw that 79% of the time in 2013 and then 78% of the time in 2014. So that's the primary type of defense that we're likely to see is that single high defense. Um, and so there are different ways to defeat single high. We talked a lot about it um, when we would break down the Seahawks a couple of years ago. Um, but you can do things like smash or sail where you're basically putting wide receivers into the void between the um, edge defender or the cornerback 
and that deep high or, or that safety that's got to come across to the left or the right. Um, you've got four verticals where you're basically putting four people in the zones where there's three people. Um, there's lots of ways that you can really begin to attack three deep safeties. But if you know you're going to get three deep safety or three deep coverage 80% of the time, and then you can start dialing up plays that beat three deep coverage, all of a sudden, again, you're making things easier on your offense. You're making things easier on your quarterback because you're making the defense predictable. And at the point at which the defense becomes predictable, then, you know, all of a sudden you have a couple of key advantages. So likely this season against Chip Kelly, I don't know that we'll see necessarily eight out of 10 defensive plays be single high, but you can probably... It probably won't be far off that. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah. I, I would venture to guess if you're a betting man, definitely put it at more than 50-50. Um, I would say, you know, comfortably at least over 70%, but it's probably going to be somewhere in there. Um, and, and so that's the defense that you can expect to see against the 49ers is more than likely single high. Yeah, because, I mean, we we look at uh, whether it's Gabbert or Kaepernick, like both of them are threats to run the ball. You're going right? to have to put the camera on yourself because I'm going to go get his beers. That's gonna this is going to be interesting. What if I just left it at your empty spot, like waiting for you to come back the whole time? Would yeah. you guys all tune Put on out? the front-facing camera, too. We're I, learning technology as we go. I know how to iPhone, all right? <laughs> um, this is going to be really strange. Okay. Um, so, so, yeah, I think that uh, when you look at kind of what his teams have faced during the time that, they, that, that he was in Philadelphia, um, again, a lot of single high. Um, a lot of man coverage. I mean, he when he that that quote that um, Oscar mentioned there, kind of mixing it up a little bit more. I felt like when they just from what I watched, and this was only a few games really, so it wasn't um, a, a complete sample of 2015. But I, I felt that in 2015, it kind of skewed back towards pretty heavy man coverage. Um, so so it's just something. And again, you're going to see a lot of that stuff is is hard to determine because there's so much pattern match happening in the NFL now that it can look like one or the other. And, you know, you can't really know unless you know the call for sure. Um, so it, it's something to consider, but they're, they're going to play heavy man. And, and the reason also specifically with this 49ers team that I would expect more man, hey, look at that, um, is because we don't know anything about their receivers, right? So the the disadvantage, if, if you're looking at, okay, if I have a defense now, I've dropped a safety in the box, so I'm playing single high coverage, right? So now I have my run gaps accounted for. Good on that front. Well, what that leaves me at a disadvantage. So even though I have somebody accounted for for each of the, I have somebody committed to each of the receivers that are spread wide. So if we go back to our basic example of a two by two formation, two receivers on each side of the line. I have all those guys accounted for, but that doesn't mean that those are all good matchups for me, right? I, it doesn't mean that my players are better than those players. But in the Niners case specifically, like they, they might be, um, you know, Torrey Smith, like this is one reason why, um, you know, if either if Colin Kaepernick becomes a quarterback again, it uh, becomes a starter or if Blaine Gabbert learns to throw the deep ball for once, like um, Torrey Smith <laughs> could have a, a really big year. And that's why you see, like, I know a lot of the fantasy guys uh, have been all about uh, quite a few 49ers um, skill position guys. And Torrey Smith has kind of been at the top of that list. Um, and really it's because of two things because of the volume that you have from chip Kelly's offense. Like that gives you when it comes to fantasy football, uh, kind of this inherent advantage, right? You have more opportunities to, um, pick up fantasy football. We're going to run more plays, more plays means more opportunities to get yards. And that means more points. And when it comes to Torrey Smith specifically is when you're, you're facing a lot of those single high defenses for him as a guy who's primarily going to line up on the outside, that means a lot of one-on-one opportunities, 
Um, and, and we know that he has the speed to beat most of those guys deep. So it's really just a, a matter of whether the quarterback can get him the ball, um, which is, you know, a little iffy. Who knows at, at yeah. this point? We, we don't know what that's going to look like exactly. Um, but, the, you know, the, the opportunity should be there for Torrey Smith to have a big year because of those uh, matchups that you should see on the outside. Or at the very least, we know that when you throw to Torrey Smith, you are effectively going to get more um, pass interference penalties because he's really, really good at forcing pass interference penalties because that's what happens when a really, really fast wide receiver runs by you. As a defender, you'd rather grab or hold and negate the big play or rather negate the touchdown because you're going to give a 50 yard. So it's a calculus that you get. So, you know, ultimately, we're going to see the, the offense and Chip Kelly's offense actually doesn't do very well against Seattle. Um, Seattle's a team that has historically done well against Chip Kelly's offenses. And this is because cover three is their base. Cover three is what they're good at. And cover three is where they excel. Also, and, again, getting back to the very first point when we started talking about personnel, the it's, personnel. it's personnel. Yeah. Earl you, Thomas you can cover a lot of ground. If you can run, you know, those type of schemes and you have the guys... Sorry, Argus. It's better. a new beer. Oh. It's a new beer. Um, and, and you have the personnel on the outside that they do. I mean, you're going to be fine because now all of a sudden the potential weakness in that setup, right, is, again, the one-on-one matchups that you have on the outside. But if your cornerbacks are better than the receivers you're facing, well, you're going to be fine. Like yep. now all of a sudden that's not really much of a weakness. Um, you're going to be able to to really do some damage against those teams. So that's why, you know, always like personnel is is always such a big deal, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, yeah, I mean, I would imagine that Seattle this year is is going to probably give us some problems. Yeah. And that's not going to have anything to do uh, necessarily with uh, the, the scheme that Chip's running. It's not going to mean that like it can't succeed. Yeah. It means that they have better players than we do. In boxing, you always hear matchups make fights or styles make fights. Right. And, and, and this is the Seattle versus 40, the 49ers now with Chip Kelly is going to be a a kind of matchup where the Seattle defense is uniquely qualified to defeat the 49ers offense just simply because of the defense they run and the defense and also, that they're good at. They're uniquely qualified to defend most every type of defense, well, right? Yes, like like just that. to again, just to this isn't a a thing with Chip's offense because I'm sure a lot of like it'll happen when whenever, you know, we play Seattle and that game doesn't go very well, there are going to be people out there that mention, like, oh, Chip hasn't learned, Chip needs to go back to college, like, all of this stuff. And in reality, it's just, okay, Seattle has a very good defense. It doesn't matter what type of offense you run. Most offenses are going to struggle against that defense. So here's here's then, I think, where we'll leave the discussion on, on how to defend the spread, because up until now, it's been a very linear progression. It's been, all right, so... In order to cover the gaps, in order to cover the receivers, you've got, you've got to bring an extra you know, defender down in the box. That means you're going to have three deep. You're generally going to face man coverage because you know, the spread stretches zones such that you, you're going to have too many gaps and, and you're not going to be able to cover all those gaps with the defenders you have. But what's been, in, what's been interesting with covering and, and defending Chip Kelly is that in 2013, they saw 60% man and 40% zone. The next year, the percentages flipped. They saw 62% zone, excuse me, and, you know, 38%. And I touched on this a little bit while you were you yeah. know, beer running. Well, you know what, beer running, I can't hear you through walls, and so you'll have I mean, to deal with the repetition. sometimes when you're in the room, you can't hear me. Nope. So. Hey, jams Boom. and jellies are important. Boom. Jams and jellies, they matter. These are the things that matter, David, right? America, jams and jellies. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry, sure. I, I was looking at your koozie, so it, it was like priming me. Oh, okay. Got um, in case you're you're not familiar with the koozie here, you may have missed it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah there's a few that have just joined us recently. Yep. Uh, so ultimately, then, it, it, if you're going to see these kind of different types of coverages, this is an offense that is not going to just be predicated, or rather, not an offense, but this is a quarterback. Whoever is going to succeed at quarterback, whether it be Gabbard or Cap, is going to have to be able to succeed at beating man beating single high, but then also being able to beat zone coverages. It's not like it's a cure-all in terms of a system for a quarterback. And this is why having a quarterback at the core of your offense is still going to be the most important thing that the 49ers are going to have to figure out this season. Because if if Chip Kelly can rehabilitate Cap, if we can get him back to the point where he's making good reads and he's making good decisions, both with his arm and his feet, then you're going to give yourself a bit of you know a bit of leeway you're going to give yourself a bonus if if he can't and if Blaine Gabbert can't then there's no system in the world that's going to be able to get you to understand and read irrespective of how simple you can make those reads for the quarterbacks it it will help it can get you a Nick Foles with a you know what was it 25 to 2 touchdown interception ratio or whatever the hell it was yeah. um you can Something you can do stupid. that you can do that for a short sprint but in order to sustain that over two, three, four, five, six years, you're going to have to have a quarterback who can do that consistently. And that's is still, even at the end of all of this, it still comes back to the quarterback. And we have no idea how that's going to turn out. We have no idea whether or not Cap is going to succeed, succeed, whether or not it's going to be Gabbert that ends up winning. Whether we or thought not, Cap was going to succeed. Yeah, but, you know, He's, he, was, he was going <laughs> to caps it. <laughs> he wasn't going to Brexit. He was going to caps it. <laughs> I like Gabsit better, actually. Gabsit. I, w- I mean, I wish he would Gabsit. Yeah. Uh, Yo, Gabba Gabsit. Nice. Um, so, you know, it, it's still a quarterback driven league. This offense is still a quarterback driven offense. And there are things within the structure of the offense that will help simplify things, that will help make reads easier on the quarterback. But at the end of the day, the quarterback still has to make these reads. So, you know, how do you defend the spread? Well, personnel still matters and, and those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, if your personnel is able to help make your quarterback wrong in the decisions that he makes and however they're going to do it, whether it be by alignment scheme um, or otherwise, then generally you're going to win the day um, and to steal, I guess, a line from Chip Kelly. And and right now, Seattle definitely has the personnel to do it. Um, other people might. The 49ers could end up finding some efficiencies, you know, Patton, Eric Rogers, Bruce Ellington, I think is going to be a big deal, but even then it's going to be really difficult to get beyond, um, you know, kind of beyond what the system is going to give you. Yeah. I mean, Um, guys would have to develop at a rate that would be kind of abnormal from what we could reasonably expect at this point for, for them to like, you know, realistically compete for anything, uh, division wise or playoff wise or, or, or anything like that. So, I, I mean, I think the, the right expectation and, and we'll talk about this more in a future episode. We're going to, you know, obviously spend some time previewing the upcoming season and, and really looking at how we think things will play out. But, um, I, I would expect them to generally be more competitive because I think it, it's one, it's very difficult to be worse on offense than you were <laughs> last year. So you got that going for you. That's the optimist um, argument right there. <laughs> I mean, it's it would be damn right impressive if they were worse because uh, that, that, that's tough to do. So so you can expect, you know, I think some improvement on offense, even if it's not to some sort of, you know, crazy stratospheric level that nobody should really expect at this point. Um, 
And, and so I think you you see a similar record to what you had last year. Yeah. But that point differential shrinks a lot, right? Like all of a sudden, instead of being the team that was outscored the most in, in the league, like you're narrowing the gaps a little bit and you're you're kind of getting up more towards the middle of the pack and your point differential, um, you're being competitive in these games and you're not getting blown out by 30 points, you know, like you were early in the season in some of those. So, you know, I think that's where it, where it ends up. But, uh, you know, at the very least, like, you know, hopefully some of this stuff helps you. You can recognize it like while you're watching games because we're going to see it. I mean, Chip's going to do what Chip does. Um, I, I know uh, Scott asked if there was anything like specific that Modkins brings to the table that might, you know, help with any of that stuff that we were talking about. Uh, from what I know about him, I, I, I don't think so, um, because it, it seems like his kind of expertise, if you will, is more, um, you know, run game based and kind of in the, the gap running and power run game stuff. Um, which I don't think really changes how defenses approach it, right? So it's it's a different style offensively, um, but in, in terms of getting back to that basic thing, okay, what do defenses need to do? Uh, they need to, to be able to account for all of the run gaps and account for all of the receivers on the perimeter. doesn't really change anything there. So I, I think that kind of basic calculus stays the same. So that about does it. Um, this has been a really interesting Friday night kind of show for a couple of reasons. Handing uh, the phone back and forth. Yeah, hand, handing the phone back and forth. We're, we're going to need to get a tripod. Actually, this really isn't going to work after, uh, like, I guess two weeks. Cause yeah. we're, I mean, unless and we get a selfie stick, that would probably help. Um, I, no, I have one for the GoPro. Um, I have a little, like, a tripod stand thing for the GoPro, which is over there. But, um, yeah, th- this will only work for, like, two more weeks because um, that's how long it's going to be until you leave to Pittsburgh and I shed a single tear. Um, like, literally, like, like a ghost Demi Moore tear. You know, like, like those just – I just saw Whoopi Goldberg and Patrick Swayze in the same room <laughs> – kind of singular like lip quiver tear you know what i mean like that's that's what i'm talking about um because yeah david you're uh you're moving to pittsburgh you're getting married uh big things are happening that's true lots you're gonna of, have uh, you're gonna have one of these on your finger here real soon i know uh, one of these well bad not boys. real soon engagement's gonna you know take a little if i have anything to do with the engagement's gonna take <laughs> we're still, a little bit we're longer. still gonna have to fight the good, the good fight of getting you married in not october hashtag don't get married during football season yeah right um but uh but i think that about does it for this week's edition of the better rivals podcast it's been a fun one it's a friday night one um you can see my my fallen soldiers right <laughs> right over here um and uh, oh, david's are over there um, and you know, leave us a review on iTunes if you've gotten this far. It definitely helps uh, get us up in the rankings, which also helps maybe potentially get an advertiser or two. Um, and uh, and yeah, uh, definitely take a look at the ninety and ninety that's coming on Eli Harold on Niners Nation that'll be coming at the end of the weekend. I'm also doing Bruce Ellington's ninety and ninety, which should be real fun. Because uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm really excited about Bruce Ellington. I am um, too. I, I really am. Oh, I, which we forgot. Ah, uh, all right. We're we're we uh we're gonna have like we talked about this kind of new segment in lieu of the rundown because we just had oh, no news yeah. whatsoever, uh, and then all of a sudden news happened today, um, and so we kind of forgot about it completely. So uh, we'll try to get back to it next week, but yeah, we're gonna try to you know spotlight a few individual players that, that we're excited about for the maybe just the spotlight season. players that we care about. Yeah, I mean, really, it's just we want to find an excuse to talk about Bruce Ellington. Yeah. Um, is really what it comes down to. And maybe to Carlos me. Hyde, knock on wood, don't get injured. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that about does it. Again, review us on iTunes. You can always follow me on the Twitters. I'm at Better Rivals. Uh, and now you actually know uh, what I look like. Look at that. All right. Uh, and David, where can they find you? That's going to be at David Newman with an underscore at the end. That's right. Love uh, that underscore. With an actual underscore at the end. So, 
let's go ahead and uh, hit the outro music. Uh, and uh, we'll go ahead and zoom in here on the board. Oh, God, I can't microphone a board at the same time. This it's is really hard. Uh, you got yeah. this is a lot of things it's happening. Rub, it's, it's like rubbing your belly and patting your head at the same time. I don't know that I'm okay with this. <laughs> um, and so on that awkward note, as always, <laughs> go Niners. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.